Welcome to another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus Roundtable version. We are back again. <laughs> Even though no one's ever heard the first one. Take two, take two, take two. Dude, take two. Actually, so we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll see how this one goes. Hopefully we'll have a, a, a little better sound uh, than the last one. So, But we're going to get this up either way. So I will have this up by tonight. Wow. There, there you go. Okay. So we're going to go around our round table. We call it a call it a round table. <laughs> the, what did we call it last time? The rectangular. small rectangular, rectangular table. table. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm Paul. I'm, I'm the host of just another Bozo on the Bus, and I'm joined with uh, some friends today. Um, you want to go around and introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm Brady. Um I was just like last time. I was on the podcast. I was the first guest on the podcast. You, you were the first. Pop the proverbial cherry the first from <laughs> which we <laughs> which we laughed which we about last time. It's still so funny today, even yeah. though I'm sure that somebody's not, not cringing. <laughs> but uh, happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Brady. Thanks for coming back. Always for you, Paul. Thank you. Anything. And uh, I'm Brent. Uh, I've also uh, had the privilege of doing a, a, an individual podcast with Paul, and uh, grateful that we're here uh, together. You know, this sets Sarah up, right? You know. Oh, I didn't you know think exactly about that. what I'm about to say. Yeah, yeah, I know. So, <laughs> Sorry. I guess we're going to have to go ahead and just set that time. And, and I'm Sarah, and I've not had the honor of uh, being invited uh, to do my own podcast with Paul yet. But well, it's official now. You're I'm just kidding. Excited to, to, to be on the podcast. Uh, that's okay. Um, no, I'm happy to be back. I was at the last round table. Hopefully this one works out. Excited to be here. Great. Yeah. All right. Um, so I did ask the, uh, all of you to come bring a topic. Well, I didn't ask you, Brady, because you weren't in on the discussion, but I, I did talk to Sarah and, and Brent kind of about it when we met the other evening. I also gave Brady a heads up. So. I gave Brady a heads up. Yeah, but it was only 12 hours notice. And it would take <laughs> me like at least 72 to come up with the topic. Okay. So. All right. So maybe by the time, you know, maybe by the time we get through the podcast. <laughs> something. Something will come up, I'm sure. It was 48 hours ago. I'm sure. Well, no, not quite. But anyway. So, um... Does any does does anyone have a topic they would like to to bring to the group today? Our rectangular table. Um, I don't. I, I yeah. I guess we can start off. I, something that I'm go. I'm actually going to the Love Loud uh, festival this this evening, and um, it's a concert uh, that is you know headed by Dan Reynolds and who's the singer lead singer of Imagine Dragons and the. The whole concept of the Love Loud Festival is about acceptance, and um, the thing that uh, and I actually and he's also released a documentary about the time that he did the first Love Loud Festival uh, last year. And the whole time I watched that documentary, I kept reflecting back on some of the principles that that we've discussed in our recovery, and um, and especially in in your book as too uh, as well, Paul is. That concept of accept and connect, yeah, and I just think that that's uh, so important to for for everybody to live a, a wholehearted life is yes. 
And it, it just feeds into all the other uh, avenues, too, of just another bozo on the bust, you know, the whole accept and connect concept. So. Well, and this, the idea with, I mean, with Love Loud, especially here, and it, it comes out of obviously some issues that we deal with locally um, because of a, a predominant uh, religion that we have here. And I mean, it's something to be ashamed of necessarily, but. We also, and I don't know if you guys listened to last week's podcast where I had Joe Covey on, but we, I did approach this subject with him directly and asked him, you know, what his feelings were about this because Joe Covey, um, which uh, is my neighbor, but he would also be considered, you know, my home teacher. <laughs> and I'm not LDS. Like, yeah, I'm, 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 the closest thing I am is probably agnostic or atheist when it comes to, um, you know, the idea of a deity. But I consider him part of my community. I consider him a friend. I consider him um, a neighbor that uh, I'm close with and I trust and I could contact and call if something was going on and um, he would some, and he would show up and, the, some, and vice versa. And so I was very interested in what he thought about this. And he, and because of, it is, is a hot button issue here, um, partly because of, of the church. But he, he said, you know, you love who you love and it's important for families to support their loved ones, regardless of who they love, and they shouldn't judge. And I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, Joe. So, um, but you should you should accept and love and connect with your family, regardless of who they love. And that shouldn't be determined, no matter who or what says it. Sh- it should be different than that, or what's right or wrong. And here in Utah, where we have the highest suicide rate in the country for adolescents, you know, 10 to 17-year-olds approximately, and a direct correlation to feeling ostracized or in some way alienated from their community, um, that's kind of what I, I, what I, I think and, and when we talk about this gathering today. I mean, this is 60,000 people coming together to celebrate, um, you know, community, to celebrate um, alternative Alternatives as far as what what's considered acceptable in many people's lives, and 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 about why people need to learn to love and accept and connect with each other, and with that, <laughs> I know that was a mouthful. No, that was that was perfect. Yeah, I guess. And the the other great thing about it too is it is going to be the whole purpose of the concert is to raise a bunch of money for groups that support yes. the LGBTQ plus communities. And uh, and really bring recognition to, like you said, the high suicide rate and the ostracization. Is that a word? Sure. Um, yeah, uh, of well, of people that go through you know go through life feeling that they're less than mm-hmm. because of who they authentically are. Right. And right. Um, and bringing awareness to that um, because I, I I look back on my my own my personal self and and having those feelings of being less than. And feeling a lot of shame and guilt about that, just just w- without having that outside pressure of being some somebody that's completely different or not completely different, but somebody whose 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 beliefs uh, or who who they are authentically doesn't line up with the the predominant culture or their or their religion of their family, mm-hmm. and uh, and and I can't uh, it's, so it's hard for me to I I can relate to that in the fact that. I, I felt a lot of less than outside of that, and I can only imagine how it gets compounded um, when you when you do have that outside influence of, of religion and your family, 
and and who you authentically are goes against that and how that will just perpetuate you feeling unaccepted and and less than and that would lead to you know high cases of substance abuse and, yes. and depression and suicide so i think bringing awareness to this is is, is absolutely fabulous well and, and we do know that there is a direct correlation between substance abuse and mental health associated with people that feel um you know less than for for many different reasons but lgbtq people definitely struggle because sometimes they don't always feel loved and accepted by their family right and this does definitely leads to to problems now um you know we're i i'm saying this as someone who you know we're, we're talking about this issue and I, I kind of feel like we probably should have someone from that community here unless you know because you know I, I probably the, the closest thing i come to is on the q side because i'm not necessarily you know, confused about who i am but i know i don't always think from what would be considered a strictly a heterosexual brain all, all the time even though people have a difficult time talking about that because they often look at these issues as, as black and white. Right. So um, my, my feminist brain is probably as, as powerful as, as any other part of my, my mental or emotional capacity. And, you know, grew up thinking that, you know, I, I need to embrace all these different aspects of myself, um, regardless of, you know, who I love or, or why I love them and those kinds of things. So anyway... Okay. <laughs> no, I think uh, also that, I mean, it just to, to bring awareness to um, the concepts of looking for commonality. I mean, we're all, we're all human beings, and we all deserve to be loved. And, uh, and that's, what, that's really what we have in common, is that we're human beings. And so look for the commonality that we have, and not look for differences. And... Um, and everybody deserves to feel like uh, they matter, and uh, you know because of who they authentically are, and uh, not because of cultural norms that have been perpetuated on through 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 the times, but uh, really to to accept and uh, feel accepted and feel loved, and I, I think that's just a huge part of of living a, a wholehearted life. Yeah, one of the things that stood out to me from the, the documentary from last year's um, uh, Love Loud um, festival was the um, the young woman this, I can't, I'm sorry I can't remember her name but she um, bore her testament in church and I, it, they, they shut her down they shut her down yeah, yeah. As, you know the, the, coming coming out so to speak I think she was like 11 or something 11 or 12 yeah yeah, yeah 12 I think yeah from what I remember yeah and that that whole thing of, of supporting people in in being who they are, yeah, and not not being judged um, or found or or, or um, again shunned or told that there's something wrong with them for being who they are. I like the, I like that you said who we are authentically, right? And we know in addiction um, that one of the leading causes or one of the things that fuels addiction is shame. And um, we know that anytime people don't feel, you know, their, their anxiety level goes up, their depression goes up, and that leads into other issues, and then we, we end up having this discussion, which is hard, right, that, which, about suicide, which often, for many people, this leads into. And I don't, I mean, the psychologist, by the way, at, at BYU that was in that um, documentary yeah. as well, 
I mean, he, he was excommunicated from the church right. for pointing out that one of the causes and that was causing the psychological and emotional distress on adolescents was feeling ostracized or alienated um, from their families and, and their church and feeling that there was something wrong with them because of who they were. And um, I think that was a little confusing to him, you know. I mean, based upon the, the interview, was like, you know, I'm just doing my work and, and doing research. This is not saying anything's right or wrong or good or bad, but this is just, is, you know, giving you data to go These from. Facts. So that, so that, yeah, yeah, facts. Just mm -hmm. giving you facts so that we can make some changes. But when facts go against um, dogma, they have a tendency to <laughs> cause problems. To put it gently. So a good support system and supporting the good cause. And that's going on today at Rice Eccles Stadium. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the festival's... Uh, this is this like a... Multi this has happened this before? Be the, this is the second year? This will be the second year, yeah. yeah. First year they did it down at Utah Valley. Gotcha. Yeah, college. So this will be a much bigger gathering. So it's grown? Yeah, so it's After grown. the first year, let's see. Yeah. Well, and they were concerned about selling out enough tickets last year until the the church came out and endorsed the event and supported it, I guess. Yeah, That's that cool. was touched on in the yeah. documentary, yeah, yeah, that they were concerned that they weren't going to sell the... And I think it was not that many tickets to, that they needed, um, but yeah. Yeah. And did, then... Uh, did yeah. the church endorse this one, too? It did not. I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't. That I don't know. But Paul, it did not. They they didn't come out with a statement like they did last year about the festival. They, for whatever reason, chose not to. And um, and uh, but they still sold it out. And uh, and there will be a packed show tonight and be wonderful and a, and a good gathering. Utah, strangely enough, we are a warm, open state. Two alternatives. I mean, it's kind of the, uh, you know, this is a corny co coined phrase, but you know, we are we are pioneering the state in some ways. But um, you know, or people consume you know beer and pie or whatever it is on Pioneer Day. Um, yeah, yeah uh, beer and pie day. Beer and pie day. Yeah. Um, and, and so we we do embrace alternatives. I mean, part of the whole culture about you know uh, about Utah was about embracing alternatives and, and, and alternative ways of thinking and that pioneering spirit is, is here and I think that that Utah carries that and that's why we probably do have a, a, maybe a, a more open and, um, and loving part of our culture that especially here along the Wasatch Front that basically does embrace many different types of alternatives and um, we have a very vibrant and strong LGBTQ community here. Yeah, I feel like every year it gets, Utah gets more open, more diverse, um, holds more events. Mm -hmm. I mean, are making it more known that they want to be seen as not just, you know, a closed off, one religion type community. But I think in a way they maybe made it even more pronounced because of the fact that that is a persona that people put on Utah. Um, and I think it's it's growing all the time. It's really it's pretty cool to see, having lived here my whole life, and always feeling a little uncomfortable not being, 
you know, LDS and feeling um, like I always wanted to get out mm-hmm. of here at a younger age, like so I could, you know, fit in and be um, not the minority. And as I got older, just feeling completely different about it and that shifting into feeling very included and, um, you know, not as an outsider at all as the years have gone by and quite the opposite, actually, finding well, a great community. Well, and this, and that, I think that's probably why that really some of these issues touch everyone. Not, I mean, we are talking about this festival in the sense of the support and the love and, and the connection it brings um, to the LGBTQ part of our community. Um, but this same issue also affects a lot of people that feel, you know, different even within the, the families of the church where um, they may not carry, and this, this is not just LDS philosophy or, mm-hmm. or theology we're talking about, right. but any anytime you don't necessarily feel that you think or feel the same way about your theology that your your families do. And, and, and you know how that, that affects. And we, we see in, in substance abuse that very, correlates very directly those same kind of percentages or numbers of people that feel alienated um, within a family belief system and end up, you know, finding ways to self-medicate that, the shame that comes along with that. Like, you know, how come I don't fit into the family, right. you know, the family system? I don't feel necessarily part of it. And that's, this is probably an ongoing pattern that, that a lot of people feel like. I mean, I suppose hearing you say, Sarah, is that, you know, I didn't feel like part of the community sometimes because everyone was, you know, a predominant Mm-hmm. It's a little different here in Salt Lake County because yeah. it, it is not, you know, the percentages are much different. You know? Right. Yeah. We're actually this county it, itself that where we live in is is, is a, probably a little bit different than you know as soon as you get outside of it and, and you go north or south of, right. of Salt Lake yeah. because you know just just from a you know, for the liberal conservative side, Salt Lake County um, is about 60% liberal. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, you know, Hillary Clinton got 62% of the vote in this county. Right. Yep. And, I mean, you get outside of it and those numbers drop down really quickly. <laughs> but, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I guess to chime in on something, the idea of fitting in is... Uh, you know, one of those things that um, creates, like, when, when we're young or when I, growing up, like, you go to school and you see the cool people or the cool crowd and you try to fit in and you want to be a part of that. And uh, a lot of times you're driven to live outside of what's authentic for you or what is really something that is comfortable for you in your own skin. And I think that idea of fitting in can create a lot of um, confusion and a lot of shame for for yourself and I know even as an adult I still fall victim to that like I'll go to like my aftercare groups or this one I'm getting sober right and it's like oh I gotta say the right thing or I gotta do this or I gotta do that and um, you know because I'm not comfortable with myself I'm mm-hmm. not confident with who I am or whatnot. and I think outside you know we've talked religion we've talked you know what your sexual preference is, I think that's part of the human condition, is just learning to be comfortable with who you are and not feel the need to shift and be a chameleon based off like where you go or what you do. Mm-hmm. And, and that's always been a challenge for me. 
because I just seem like I just have this natural response to want to, like, I'm not worthy or I'm not enough, so I need to shift so that everyone sees me as something that is worthy or that is enough. Right. right? Yeah. 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 And, and I think that really beckons back to um, Brent's statement about, you know, living our authenticity, especially, I mean, if, if I mean, <laughs> We all went through adolescence, right? So, so we know the challenges of that. And I'm not meaning just to focus on adolescence, because this affects all ages. But that feeling of, of, of somehow wanting to be something to be accepted by a group, even if somehow we know it rubs against what is maybe true or authentic for us. That, that, that's kind of what, I guess, maybe this idea of shame that mm-hmm. becomes so toxic in, in our lives at times. Yeah, and it's like learned behavior. Like once you, I know you can kind of get lost in it, where it's like, oh, I can't now be myself, you know, because I've I've projected something else to other people, and it just can can become confusing, and you start to feel shackled to maybe an identity that wasn't who you are. Yeah, and yeah. so then it takes some courage to you know, rewrite that story, step outside of that and be like, you know what I mean? Like you, like you're not shy. You, you can change and you can shift as you mature and you can, you can grow and change your beliefs. But I know for a long time for me, I was, I felt like, um, you know, you don't have the ability to change that stuff for, for whatever reason. Um, once you've said it, like that's who you are. And so going back and like rewriting that, like you don't have the rite of passage to do that for some reason. Well, or maybe maybe also the, a lot of the rites of passages have gone through a certain you know system, right? So I mean, we're we're, we're talking about theology. So a lot of times there are the rites of passages we have in our culture today are, are focused on 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 the like the, the theological rites of passage, you know, whether it be baptism or or missions or or you know bar mitzvahs or, or these kinds of things that that get um, get used, um, you know. Of course, you know, getting one of the strangestly, you know, one of the the biggest rites of passage for adolescents these days is getting a driver's license, you know, you know, or, gra- or I mean, things that probably are social constructs which don't really have to do with authenticity or creating personal values or morals or ethics or, or things like that, um, and and you know, not to, I mean, okay, religion's an easy target, not to beat up on religion from from the aspect no. of it, but that to understand that sometimes those rites of passages just don't resonate for everyone out there. And finding ways to to, to still embrace the, those communities or cultures that we grow up in and be respectful for them, but also then developing and learning our own. Right. You know, how, how do we discover our own rites of passage? And, and maybe this is part of, you know, we, we talk a lot about recovery and sobriety in here. Maybe re- recovery is, is part of that, learning learning rites of passages, you know, learning how, how to connect and explore what our true values and, and, and moral systems are. Well, and that's, that's interesting, like, um, learning to explore and connect to your true values, like, and I don't know if it's just because I, I um, like, for me, I feel like a lot of my adult life, I didn't do that. Like, it was like I woke up one morning and it was like, who am I? What do I actually believe? What's true for me? What's right for me? And became curious about um, asking myself those questions. 
and um, I don't know. It was like a cl- it was like coming out of a fog, coming out of a cloud of like, oh, I can think for myself, and I can like define what is real and what's true for me. And um, it's interesting to have that experience as an adult. Um, but I don't want to look back and be like, oh, well, none of that was real. None of my life before that was real. But it felt kind of like that. There was this kind of sort of transformational time period where it was like, oh, you do have the freedom to choose for you what you want, right? And um, that was just so interesting as an adult to experience that and enlightening. And it felt like liberating in so many ways. That- how old were you when that yeah, you had that experience? God, I was like 28, 29, uh-huh. right? And it started this shift that has been a multi-year, you know, interesting uh-huh. experience. But it was like 28 or 29 before I, like, uh, it was just like a deep exhale. Like, oh my God, why have I, why have I been carrying around this weight for so long? Mm-hmm. Um... And it's hard to sort of explain, right, because it's like this psychological, spiritual shift, whatever. But it just felt like, okay, put the, put the, the weapons that you use on yourself mm-hmm. down. And, um, yeah. I like the idea of, of, of de-weaponizing our own internal dialogue, because that's, that's really what, what shame kind of... That, that's one of the, 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 the tenets of shame that's so harmful internally, you know, that I use the hammer, you know, beating ourselves up. Right. The but the hammer's the weapon, right? That that's that's how we we punish ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, for me, like when I say twenty eight twenty nine, it was one of those transformational moments and it was like, oh great, this is awesome. Um and then, you know, life's still life, though. <laughs> you know, there's still so many challenges, and you still have all your, like, typical um, things that you do that you're like, why the fuck did I do this or that? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I don't know. Man, life's just a journey. Life's just a journey. <laughs> I, think, I think it gets, like you were saying, you know, it wasn't until you were 28 uh, that you kind of, had, had that, that realization I think we, we perpetuate it for for so long and I can relate to that too because it was a long time before I realized that concept that you know what um, a lot of my shame and a lot of my not feeling good enough comes from caring what other, everybody else thinks you know what I mean and, and acting and behaving in a way that I think other people will uh, want me to behave it and it will accept me by doing that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's the concept. It's funny. I, you know, we hear about shame. And for the longest time, I thought shame was all about, um, oh, yeah, I feel, I feel like I'm a bad person because of these things I did. But most of my shame is rooted into that, those feelings of not feeling good enough yes. or not feeling accepted, you know. And, uh, and that just wasn't like a new concept for me that I just barely recognized. <laughs> Yet, you know, and I think it's just because as we, as for me, myself going through life, I've always been caught so much up in worrying about what other people thought and trying to please what I thought that would make me be accepted by other people. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's a good, that's a perfect example. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we probably all have a story like that because I feel the same way. I don't relate as much with the religion part of it. In, in a way I do, though, because growing up here... 
not ever being um, LDS, I found myself instead purposely going the opposite direction, and that doesn't mean I um, was necessarily rebellious, but I, I made a very strict point to make it known that I was not part of that community, that I was not LDS, because I felt wronged by it at a younger age. I made a very mm. clear point to go to youth groups that were, um, like, Young Life was something I was very involved in in junior high and high school, which is more of, like, a non-denominational Christian organization, and made it very known to people that that was part of my life, and um, even uh, recently, or, you know, when I went through treatment, gotten into recovery, I've noticed one of the hardest parts for me at the beginning of recovery with not drinking was actually going to restaurants and not having a drink in front of me, not because of the drink, but because I wanted to make it known that I was not... Distinguish yourself? Distinguish myself. <laughs> from part of the... Yeah, from that, the, that culture here, you know. Culture majority, so... I feel yeah. going to a restaurant, seeing people that just have water or soda at the table, that means that they're probably... Um, we're in most other states, I don't think that would be the case, but that was one of my things was, well, I want to make sure someone I'm at the table with has a drink because I don't want yeah. them to think that. And not that there's anything wrong with it, so it's such a silly thing, but it got ingrained in me that that was something I wanted to make sure to project to people. Distinguish. Distinguish myself very much, and I, and that wasn't authentic either. You know, as much as I thought it was, it's... It's also was trying to play a part and, uh, you know, show people or prove something to people. Uh -huh. And and then what Brent was saying, that the shame part came later, that played a part in it. But definitely, even though there wasn't the religion and family dynamic, uh, being part of the my family structure and working for a family company was a big part of my shame because I didn't feel that... If I wasn't doing that, um, I wasn't doing something for them. I wasn't, um, I basically wasn't being authentic to myself for that. And I, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but yeah. <laughs> no, it's interesting how, um, how divisive that we can, that we can become because like you, like you said, Sarah, you purposely uh, wanted wanted to behave in a way that contradicted uh, what you yeah, felt yeah. you were being disconnected from. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you went, and it's just it's it's just amazing how divisive that we can become in our thinking, instead of just in trying to embrace the commonality um, and let everybody be who they want to be, and not have any not carry any judgment uh, on that. You know. Um, because like you said, Paul, earlier, I, I think that we, we've grown up in a community uh, that I think overall is, is a fairly accepting, loving, mm -hmm. compassionate community. But we, you know, based on our own human nature, we, we seem to, to want to pursue avenues of being divisive, you know. Um, yeah. Well, it's easy it's to do. Yeah. I hear a lot of words like tribalism and... They're, they're, that word's really popular, and then there's a lot of tribalism and division that 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 happens in cultures when when confirmation bias becomes such a strong component of people's lives, um, where they're just they keep focusing on the differences. It's so easy. It's so easy to do. Right. It's so easy to do, 
And it, I think that's always the pitfall for all of us is that, you know, the, the truth is we all, no matter what, have so much more in common. That's what I love about the recovery community. I mean, yeah. Yeah. you know, I, I don't, you know, I, in my own, my own brain, I, 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 I don't consider myself in recovery. But the truth is, is I feel part of the community because I work in it, I live in it, I breathe it. And, it, and it's so accepting for the most part and, and open to everyone. You know, you, it's, it's very few places you can go where, sort of, you know, like things like socioeconomics um, barriers are, are, are get broken down pretty quickly. Yeah. You, I mean, if you think of the, even though maybe it's not always um, ethnic or racial diversity as much, um, you know, here in Utah, but you, you do see all these socioeconomic and cultural differences between people. Um, and the, the things that the hot button issues are, are not about, you know, what, what, which God, you know, floats your boat, per se, as much as, you know, what you're doing to, to take accountability and responsibility right. for your life and learn how not to be a fucking victim most of the time. Yeah, you know? exactly. But I've been waiting for a time to be able to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I heard the term, uh, I think tribalism, you know, just like everything, it's nuanced. I heard the term toxic tribalism yeah. the other day, right? Yeah, yeah. I think tribalism can be super powerful when you talk about the recovery community or even, you know, the LDS community. Um, it's all about how you are, like what your perspective inside mm -hmm. that tribe is. But feeling connected and related to a group of people, um, your tribe, so to speak, mm -hmm. is is just such a way to get that like acceptance and love and like such a valued thing. Um, it's when I attach my ideology to that tribe and believe that this is the only way that anyone could ever yeah, have yeah. something is right. when it becomes toxic and it becomes you know, a, a force of disconnection in life versus a force of connecting. Well, and I think it goes back to in your book, Paul, when you're talking about, you know, the commonality that we all have and how we really have more in common than we don't have in common. But yeah, sometimes I see what you mean. You get so connected with people that you think you wouldn't usually connect with, but then do you get in that same streamlined vision of now this is my tribe and this is all that I see, you know, and, and start pushing it, then, and if they don't, then they're wrong, and you and start I'm pushing right. people out again, even though your intention was to, and we do that, yeah, to know. really open your mind to people, you mm -hmm. then just go right back to, and it's so easy to do minds. with, like, the tip of, like, when you say religion and politics, mm -hmm. right, like, that kind of stuff, because you have different, different views, but at the root of it, like we said when we started, everyone, the commonality is, you know, for healthy, like happy, whatever connection and acceptance is, is everyone's basic yeah. human need. Vulnerable connection. A yeah. vulnerable connection. But you start yeah. to stack up differing viewpoints and you lose your, like, ability to do that because, you know, you start to attach different judgments to certain yeah. things. And exactly, that's exactly what I was saying when I was younger and how I just want to attach myself to. I am, was born and raised in Utah, but I am not Mormon. You know, I want to attach myself to that. To be where, that becomes part of your identity. Exactly. Yeah. Where that want, I want that to be my identity versus just going, look at how much I have in common. I have a lot of values um, and morals and beliefs that are common with, you know, this religion as well and the people around me who are a part of this religion. 
and as I got older and started growing and became, you know, had a lot of friendships and connections with people in that religion and many other religions or not religions, I've realized that, that there are, you know, connections and commonalities to be had all over the place, but that, that took some time to learn, definitely. Especially in this culture, I think. Hmm. Yeah, division becomes... It, 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 well, talk about a narcotic. I, I, I mean, I, I guess equate, um, you know, division and, and tribalism almost uh, as a drug in some ways. Um, kind of like relationships can be, but it, in the same kind of thing where it, it, it can be, it can become intoxicating because it's this, often a sense of power comes from it, especially if you're talking about religion or politics at, at times. But, it, it, you know, to get away from that, um, which is always that, you know, how usually a crisis or a natural disaster brings people together and all of a sudden norm, people that, you know, probably would never have, have worked together or, or, you know, cooperated in, in something find themselves, you know, side by side dealing with an issue. Um, and, and all the other stuff's gone. Yeah. You know. Well, you heard a lot about that in Houston when the the, the hurricane or whatnot. Oh, yeah. You know, I just heard so many stories. My, my older brother, for example, you know, went down there to just help. Um, yeah, I think he had a friend or family. But that seemed like just so many stories came out of Houston of just it didn't matter. Everyone came together and rebuilt that community. Mm-hmm. And it was an empowering thing for the whole area. That's a great, that's a good example. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what that's what's always that's what I think you do know, that that's about you know the humanity within us right yeah. you know, whatever you have whatever you want whatever word you want to use but that thing that that brings us all together on some level uh, and uh, you know say the, the, the you know I, I did a, say use the word you know I don't consider myself in recovery but I realized that how silly that sounds um, because really the basis of the, the book I wrote which is called Recovering the Sea is all about recovering that authentic part of ourselves to be truly live through who we are see ourselves actually through the lens that is, is, is real is honest is open is vulnerable um, is, is uh, creative is powerful courageous um, compassionate all those all those traits, I think, you know, that's that's reco- what really recovering the seed is. So I, I want to clarify what that term means. I thought it was I silly don't use too. It necessarily an alcohol. <laughs> yeah. I, I said when you said that, I thought that was silly too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you know who my friends really are. <laughs> being in recovery, I mean, you say you think from substance, you know. Yeah. But I feel like. I mean, even when that's not a part of my life at all, and it's a more distant part of my past, mm-hmm. I think being in recovery for just myself might be just an ongoing life thing as far as continually learning and growing and, you know, being much more aware um, of my authentic self and stuff, and that's something I didn't used to do, so I feel like I'll always be this point of, I don't know if in recovery is even the right term, but... I think that there's a piece of that that I always want to keep with me to make myself accountable, you know, for being the best person. Well, that well, I can and, be. And, and you hear this this term a lot, and I know in our in our community it gets tossed around a bit. The idea of being recovered, you know, yeah. and I, I, which I embrace too. I think it's a great concept because yeah. it, it it talks about empowerment um, instead of the idea of always 
having something wrong or or being diseased in, in some way. So I, I like that term. I like the way that, that that's being used by uh, some of my colleagues as well. Um, and in, in a way, what it means is it's it's that maybe I, I've, I've, when I say recovered, that I'm living you know through my my true values, my my true my core. My true core authenticity, my, my, my core belief. Yeah. If you, I always wonder, like, if you think about it logically, it seems like you would just be your authentic self. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> that is, you, like you would right. think, you like, think you are who you are, I'm I'm like, yeah, I am me. But, and, and I often wonder, like, where does it, why did it start? Where did it start for me? Because I feel like from a very young age, mm-hmm. I had a predisposition to not, like, like not be myself or not dare to be myself because, you know, I'd get made fun of or I wasn't enough. And, right, yeah. And it just seemed innate in me that that was how you needed to live. You needed to, when you walk into a room, you got to sort of shift and, and be enough for that room yeah. instead of just you are enough already inherently. Why is that an innate part of, like, my thinking, yeah. right? Like, is it... What are the factors there? I, I mean, it goes back to that our, our basic need and desires to to connect and um, and want to 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 feel a part of something, right? So you end up, you know, thinking that by not being your authentic self is what again it goes back to giving a shit what everybody else thinks. You know what I mean? It really does. And so even as a young kid. Even though you recognize that maybe you weren't doing what you felt inside authentically, that that was you, but you were you said it yourself that you were scared that you would be yeah. get made fun of or that you would not be accepted, you know. Well, it's, so I think it, it stems back to that. Yeah, yeah, and I think you learn. You know, I think little things can can have big effects on you, like when you're a kid, like when you, they always talk about childlike curiosity, be like a child, like this stuff that is real. Until a child at some point goes into an experience and feels ridicule, feels embarrassment, right? And the first time they feel that, then that seed is planted. And they're too young to really... I'm too young to really understand all the stuff we're talking about, right? So that seed gets nourished more and more with more and more of these experiences of what disconnection or like, you know, and... You know, if, if you don't have, um, I guess, you know, someone to help you put that in perspective, or if you're not willing to, like, really talk about that stuff, it can just perpetuate itself oh, yeah. into adulthood so easily. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of what happened for me. Well said. Absolutely. That was nice. <laughs> very true. I do remember, though, I, I can remember some of those moments where... I, I, I realized when I wasn't being authentic. You know, I went against the core value. I remember the, the first time that I stole something, and I, I knew it. I mean, I, I, I can go back to that moment when I did it and when I told the lie about it, that I went against my values. I went against something that I knew I was not being true to myself. I think I was five or six or seven or, yeah. No, I was about seven or eight years old. And I can remember that moment and making that choice and I used to go that's the moment where everything changed but no it's not true because there's plenty of times in my life that I still resonated and connected with that authentic part my, my true values my true core self and and and, and knew that and, and throughout life 
There are also times, though, where I kept going back and replaying the shame of that first time I stole money from my neighbor and how that affected a chain reaction of things that I did later yeah. on in life. But it's fascinating, you know. I, I've told this story before. Um, I don't think I've ever done it here on the podcast, but um, when I when I realized what I had done and uh, and and how that had affected sort of a, a chain reaction of all these kind of things that happened, you know, from that that seven or eight year old boy until you know the adults man I had become. I realized how important it was for me to go back and, and if I could, repair that. Right. You know, repair that, or at least take accountability and responsibility, because I told everyone, no, 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 I didn't do it. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is I had, so I literally got on the phone as, at 37 years old and called my neighbor um, that the, I lived next cool. to, uh, Mrs. Broadus, and said to her, you know that, uh, that money that went di- disappeared, you know, from your kitchen counter 30, 30 years ago? No. <laughs> that was me. That was me. And I owe you an interest. <laughs> I went, and I, yeah, right. And I sent her the money, but you know the first thing that she came, she told me not to, she told me not to. But the first thing that came out of her, her mouth was, are you in rehab? So I, I think I you know, I, I think that, that that's what I that, so when I, I think about well what's authentic and true for us, it's there at a very young age. Agreed. It's yeah. there at a very young age. Yeah. We know what our core values and truth is. Mm-hmm. Even though we, I, I was messing around with it. I was, I was looking for approval from other people. Mm-hmm. I stole that money to buy cigarettes. I know this is, that sounds even stranger because, that, well. At eight I, years old? At, yeah, I could walk into, <laughs> I, could, I could walk into the pharmacy, which is where cigarettes were sold in my town, and, and go up to the pharmacist and say, my mother sent me down for a carton of cigarettes. And he would literally hand them to me and I would take them and that's what I did. Five dollars, five dollars for a carton of cigarettes. Wow. <laughs> that's great. So this was sixty three or so. Yeah. Different uh, different times. Yeah, different times. <laughs> Just a couple of years ago. Yeah, Paul. Yeah. You've only got a few. Gas gas was twenty cents a gallon. <laughs> anyway. Those are those moments, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think we're I mean, I I've tested those way later in life than I ever thought I would. I thought, you know, once I know those core values, <laughs> then I know I'm and I'll, I'll just be okay. But it's interesting how I, I have continually tested them throughout the years, <laughs> and I usually get the exact same reaction <laughs> from the time I was little to uh, in adult. <laughs> Nothing changes on how I feel yeah. inside, or, I mean, it's, it's, I can feel now how I felt then when I did that stuff. Exactly. When I was 10 versus when I'm 30. <laughs> exactly. That's a feeling. You're exactly the same. Yep. Well, you're saying when you go against your core values. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm saying like that, that piece of me, I, I feel the same thing inside. That fraud feeling. Yeah. When I was 10 versus when I'm now, yeah. you know, 32, I feel, it feels the same. Which means I know it's authentic. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I'm going against something that I, I truly believe or value something I hold. And, and this is, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about this, you know, before we started today, and I think this really fits into the Brene Brown stuff, um, because this is what she talks about is, is you know, what is that truth? What is that core value that, that, that somehow we have become, we have shamed ourselves to tell us the, the lie, the great lie that we tell ourselves, that that's not who we are. 
you know, that that part of it is, you know, we're, we're, we're not good enough for that, or that's not truly who we are. And that, that's, we're lying to ourselves in those moments. She really talks about the courage of being honest with ourselves and embracing that, that the true core beliefs that we know that are, are part of what make us, you know, human, that connect us to everyone else, and that, that, that importance of vulnerability. Um, and I know you guys have been, uh, we, you know, one of the things that you guys do is you have your book club, and you've been, I forgot which one you were reading this right now. Daring Greatly. Daring Greatly. By Brene Brown. Yeah, by Brene. And her work is just remarkable, the things that she's done. I think for, and then I say for the recovery community and for people dealing with addictions, but this goes way beyond substance addiction. Yeah. Because, um, you know, people get, as, as you guys know, I mean, in experience, we become addicted to relationships as, you know, as easily as we become addicted to a drug. Yeah. And I don't know if there's really that much difference between them. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're a relationship expert here. <laughs> no. Yeah. Or, or the opposite of a relationship expert. <laughs> Maybe a relationship explorer. Explorer, but, uh, yeah. I think we were joking about that earlier. So. Yeah. <laughs> I think that uh, it's like you you said when you said uh, when you you know kind of uh, went back and said well you know my you know the book that I wrote was about recovering the seed you know the authentic you know recovering that authentic person that we are mm-hmm. and um, oh man I lost my train of thought I, had, I was going with something very good there. This image of like you know covering ourselves with all these sticky notes of, of yeah. lies and bullshit that we tell ourselves and uh, our shame and fear based belief systems. They're yeah. just like walking around with all these things that are so, and they, they get we can't see really who we are because we oh, yeah. kind of put all this stuff on top of us. You know this armor of maybe post-its are not the best way to say that, but no, that's a good image. It's, a, it's yeah. this armor that we we intentionally put on top of ourselves, which stop us from then reconnecting to that living wholeheartedly. Right, and, and I remember what I was going to say. And so if you, even if you take substances out of the equation, all of us are putting those sticky notes all over oh, yeah. us. Substances is just one of the things that we, that we use that, we're trying, that we've used to medicate not feeling authentic. And so that's one of the things we have to deal with. But really, it, it, uh, recovering the seed and a lot of Brene Brown's work mm-hmm. is just about being human and, and dealing with how life is. Um, and, yeah, being true to your authentic self. Um, substances aside, yeah. you know, yeah. Well, I think the substance really just adds to the armor, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I don't think it's. That we use I think it's, it's there anyways, but it yeah. just add, it adds at least for me an additional layer. You know, that's what it did for me. Like, I don't feel like I'm quite secure enough in the armor I've built up. Now I'm starting to feel vulnerable, and I don't want to. So let's use a substance to yeah. just add an extra layer of protection on. And right. Yeah. Or I, I don't want to think about that, and so I'm going to escape in this way. It's, yeah. Yeah. it's, yeah. Right. it's almost like ignoring the the armor, the the shame. You know, yeah. it's, it's, the substance became you know, or, or sex, or money, or food, or whatever it was, became a way to to ignore or medicate the the, the well, shame. It's such a high-end experience; it allows you to not see it, or like to you know, numb it out, yeah. as they say, like. I just need to escape away from this reality of my shame. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I go to. Yeah. Well, and that, you know, I, I see this and I mean, I think about the, the person that they're, they're feeling so, um, I, I talked about this, um, I think on, I don't know if you and I talked about this Brady back, you know, um, you know, the beginning of the year or not, but this idea of 
someone that that is in so much pain that they do something horrific in their life. You know, they make a um, a choice that you know affects the lives around them. Many people I, I talked about this, and the sense of someone who who, who consists, you know, who um, <clears throat> perpetrates a mass murder or something like that. I think I talk about it in the book too. The same kind of thing is, you know, how much pain that that person is in in their life. Regard, I mean, I, you know, it is horrific the the acts that happen that people do, but it, I sometimes forget about how much pain that person probably is in, and this becomes a way that they feel that they can stop it, you know, that the things people do to stop it. We talk about it from the sense of substances, right? Or food, or sex, or money, or work, or unit, relationships, relationships, relationships. But people that actually go out and, and harm another person to deal with it, to deal with that, it, 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 it only, re, again, each one just reinforces the problem in the first place. It, there's never peace from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, all that stuff has to be driven from a source of, you know, self-loathing, self-hatred, you know, that's then projected onto other people. Even though, even though we know part of this, and we've kind of touched upon this, is the idea of of why, why, um, you know, focusing on the differences or focusing on the biases or the prejudice um, becomes becomes so harmful. Um, and, and maybe in, in a sense intoxicating is, is because you know of, of not being able to be open and, and vulnerable and, and take risks with people. We want to we want to find a scapegoat to do that. Um, and, and you know we, we, we see that in our world today right now. I mean, especially in, we definitely do a good job of not talking politics in here, <coughs> except when I talk a few with a few of my friends. But for the um, for the for the most part, this idea that you know finding a scapegoat—that's really what what I think feed, also feeds shame and and addiction—is that the, because it leads into a victim stance, you know. Yeah. If I can if I can blame what's going on in my life and why I don't have the things I think I'm supposed to have, it becomes much easier to f- find the the problem outside of ourselves, you know, define it as as the problem. So. One, uh, I don't know if it's something you said made me think of what we were reading in the Brene Brown book. She talks about the importance of being vulnerable with the right company, like um, someone that can bear the weight of what you want to share or what you're going to do. And I think um, those times when we... That's a really good one. Yeah, yeah, like those times when we get vulnerable or whatnot, or we, we... perceived vulnerability we try to share it and the person on the other end of that isn't available to it it ends up telling me that that risk is just going to lead to me being hurt so now why would I do that right it just perpetuates more shame right and so (laughs) then you know the more you do that you get hardened to the idea of it and so taking a step back and understanding oh well I know with this company or such and such, I can do this. It's a safe place for me to do that. And to feel that connection is huge, but it's a double-edged sword there. Well, what, so what a good, what a good point. I mean, that's because it's about discerning and, and not, and and not making assumptions about who's capable to meet us in that moment of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why group becomes so powerful because you get to know people and it becomes easier to risk, right? I mean, you you show up, right? Yeah. 
there's a common thread there where where that sort of yeah. becomes uh, you know to and, and even there it can be challenging to do right like it takes courage yeah. um but I feel like we've probably all had experience and I know especially getting out or I've talked about this a lot myself where you know I went to rehab and I got out and I'm so hyped up on letting myself be seen uh-huh. that I floodlight <laughs> and floodlight <laughs> that out which in turn I don't get the response that I was looking for so then I start to um, believe that oh that's not right I'm not good enough and that's why it can be a tricky journey you know oh wow he's so bright he's hard to look at yeah exactly yeah. and then you're like oh I don't want to be that guy yeah. you know then you start doubting like, there's nothing wrong being know. that guy it's just who you choose to show that to matters you know that's a really good point and then yeah. also how you by the way that was really vulnerable it was <laughs> 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 so, so confusing <laughs> I was just going to say but also your reaction to it I mean number one knowing your audience so you don't get that feeling of you know lash back and feeling okay now, now, I, now I'm yeah, more disconnected than I need yeah. to doubt myself so that being number one but number two if you do get that type of response because maybe you do think this is good company and I, I can show this mm-hmm. maybe you still don't get the response and just being able to acknowledge that that's okay and I don't need to feel that I was wrong or that you know start doubting what I believed or felt but just realize the point of this was not the person to share that with or you know kind of just learning that lesson from it instead of starting to doubt yourself just go take it for what it is mm-hmm. that person and leave it be um, don't let it build on the shame um, but that takes practice and experience doing it because yeah. it's definitely easier said than done yeah we've all and, and we've all been and maybe even been that person but I feel like I the person that's too open that's too vulnerable and I hate that comes out as a judgment saying, even saying that but the thing that comes <laughs> to mind is social media vulnerability when someone's oh. post every single day is um something that is emotionally heavy and they're putting it out on this channel to me that's a cry for something still like you know what i mean but it's it's uncomfortable mm-hmm. i shy away from that myself right because um you know, ugh, when you vomit, when you try to vomit vulnerability <laughs> to everyone, it's just like, what the fuck? But then is it really, what, was it this book or the one we read before? Vulnerability. Vulnerability. Yeah. 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 But is that really vulnerability? Well, no. That, that was Gary Green. Yeah, that was Gary yeah, Green. Yeah. Is that really vulnerability? But when that's not are, really true vulnerability right. when you just are throwing it all out there. Yeah, uh, Without dis, yeah. with no dis, discernation, no discerning, without discerning yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, without discerning yeah. who hears it, you know, yeah. that's not true vulnerability. True vulnerability is being open and raw um, with somebody that can be empathetic uh, with mm-hmm. with what you're what you're saying or what you're conveying. Right. Yeah. Well, and maybe there's a, maybe there's a part of that that it's true at any given moment. Any human being could probably hear mm-hmm. you or hear me. Yeah. But it's it it doesn't mean that it it happens. So. Maybe the discernment that the responsibility with vulnerability comes down to each of us in the sense of knowing when 
I mean, even though it's we're not we're human, so we're we're, we're gonna we're gonna muck around and it's gonna get muddy and messy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole process, right? Which is fine. Which I'm not no. Really, no criticism about being this being having to be a, a cleaner, perfecter, you know, bleached white process. It's not. But the idea of taking responsibility for the discernment, mm-hmm. I guess, is what where I'm going with that. Here. Right. That, that that maybe that's part of being vulnerable too. Meaning that you know I'm willing to take a look at the environment and where I am, and is is this a moment and a situation which is a- applicable to meet my needs? Yeah. You know, and that's really when it gets maybe comes back to accountability. Yeah. Well, and you have to dare to try to practice it in order to learn how to do that. And that's where it's good. That is, that is the daring, that's the daring greatly part, right? Is that showing up and doing it, you know? Is, is, I mean, and it becomes almost like a practice. And just like anything, it gets easier. I mean, I just still feel like it's tricky. I feel like it is complex still, for sure. Um, yeah. I don't think it's like, I mean, I think it's so complex, but for me, looking at myself before I went to residential treatment to now, oh yeah, I feel like that year and a half is it's made a world of difference in my vulnerability not just like with myself and with others and my comfort in doing that and but it's been like ongoing practice like every single week yeah. usually multiple times a week practicing that going to group listening to people learning from them in turn you know being vulnerable and letting out things that I've held in and so yeah, for me, I guess maybe that's not always the case. For me, it's gotten easier. Um, but again, it's it's around the like you said earlier, the right group of people. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. it, I don't know if that would be easy for me around everyone, but um, in good company or light company, it's it's easier for me now. I feel like yeah, I feel like for me, yeah, I've done it now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't seem you know I I don't know that it's easier. I don't know you know it's. It's healing when I'm able to get into that space, but it's 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 still like vulnerability. I mean, if you look at the definition, vulnerability, or you, you know, you're vulnerable. You can find a weakness and attack it and exploit it. Mm-hmm. And um, fortunately, I've had those experiences through you know this kind of transformational several years, but I still am not like. I don't ease into it, I feel like, very well. You know? Yeah, and I don't know if it's supposed to be easy. Maybe vulnerability is never easy, I get. Maybe if that was the wrong well, choice of words. I think it might be. I yeah, maybe great. it was the wrong choice of words, but I do feel like it's gotten easier. And even, I mean, last weekend I, I finally talked to my coworkers about being in recovery for the first time. I've been there, uh, I don't know, eight months or something, and... I've, I've kind of pieced like little things of, oh, I've got this meeting or group to go to, right. or, oh, no, I don't drink anymore, but I haven't just come out right. with it. And You've been dropping some breadcrumbs. Exactly, yeah. Right. So I've, but, the old I, Yeah, but also choosing not just the audience, but also my timing was, you know, my interview process. And when I early got hired on, was that the time for me to let this out? I, it wasn't for me, at least. I didn't feel right. that that was something that I needed to put out. And I didn't, and um, now I'm working a little bit closer with them, and we were in a situation where we were at a a retreat up at a cabin, and so not only was the company right, 
because I had gotten closer with them and we were in a more of an intimate setting, but also the timing was right. You know, now is a time where I do want to be more open because we are working closer together than we were yeah. in my previous position there. Um, and I had a great response from all of them. Um, and it, it feels already better. Yeah. Like it, it, it wasn't weighing on me. I wouldn't say a ton, but I, I can feel a difference yeah. in my connection with them right. being at work, you know, someone there saying, Oh, my, father i just wanted to let you know he's 70 we've been trying to get into, tr into treatment he finally went this week she told me that this week you know but her wanting to share that with me um something that wouldn't have happened before and and i you know that was definitely a practice of vulnerability being around them and knowing that i was going to put myself out there and risk you know feeling less than I think that's a great yeah, example of discernment. Yeah. 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 I was just over mm -hmm. just what we were talking about is yeah. knowing when and, and picking that moment. Yes. Which, you know, then d did bring about more vulnerability. I mean, this is what vulnerability, I guess, this is where it is. I mean, I like, I like these. Well, what, how do you define it? But this idea of being open and, and being honest and, I mean, I sometimes words like raw come out of that, mm -hmm. which is not always, again, <laughs> to be messy. Um, and I think that, that that's okay. But, but, you know, being able to decide or at least, you know, feel that there is a choice when and how that's going to that's gonna be. And then how it turns into and almost multiplies. Um, there's a, sort of an exponential experience of it, meaning that, um, that your vulnerability then touched someone else. Right. And then they were vulnerable with you. And shared something in their life right. in the same way. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the beautiful part of vulnerability, that's and the then connection. Yeah. and then you, yeah, it just. That's why I kind of have started thriving on a, a little bit more. Um, it doesn't always go that way. <laughs> it's not always that smooth. It can be messier, um, and it can be hurtful as well. But uh, when you do have some good experiences like that, I guess that's where I I say it's gotten a little easier for me because the more positive experiences I have, such as that the more willing I am to to continue to do it with others. Yeah, I, I, I think for me, for vulnerability, what I've noticed, at least lately after reading, you know, engaging in the Daring Greatly book and everything, vulnerability for me has been looking at not caring what other people think, mm -hmm. because when I do that, I'm less likely to be vulnerable and be open and authentic uh, to my emotions, that means not uh, don't not to not don't be not receptive to, to feedback or pay attention to uh, you know advice or whatever what other people have for you, but really not shying away from expressing who you are uh, because you're afraid of what somebody else is going to think about it. Mm -hmm. You know, and so just looking at vulnerability from that aspect of of you know just being myself. Uh, and and it's okay. And if, if other people don't don't like that, well, then that's that's kind of their that's their issue. Um, and I, I've I've found that that's that's helped me. You know, I gave the example in aftercare when I had to go uh, when I went to I took my ex wife's diplomas up to right, her mom's right, house, yeah. and how now that was an exercise in vulnerability for yeah, me. Um, and I and I because I, I I felt like I needed to do that. Um, regardless of how it was going to be received, you know what I mean, mm -hmm. and so not not really caring about what uh, or expect having any expectations or, or caring about how that was going to be, mm -hmm. you know, received, and uh, and just and doing it because that's what I felt like I needed to do, yeah. you know. 
Yeah, that's, that's a beautiful example. I, th- I, I just was coming to me as we're talking about this, the idea of um, being able to practice discernment. But there's also, there's another part to it, I think, which is um, really listening. This idea of, of becoming an active, competent listener mm-hmm. um, is also something that, 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 to do that, I think re- requires a certain level of vulnerability because it means that we're, we're not running our, our story on top of what the other person is saying, so then maybe this yeah. is when 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 we want when we get feedback, but maybe this isn't the best time or the place to share this information. If we're listening to the person, we, and and, uh, and I'm not taking it personally, I, I'm not seeing that you know I'm not looking or, or feeling any way that this is a, a wounding. But the the ability to be able to to understand that um, it's not about me. This is another. This person's not in a place to be able. To, to show up like that right now, and that's perfectly okay. Mm-hmm. And you know that just because I, I was looking at as a moment to, to take a risk doesn't doesn't mean that 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 the other person is ready for me to do that. Right. You know, I think this comes back to when you know the idea of making amends with people, and they go, "Yeah, I'm not ready. Come back in a year." Yeah. <laughs> Which sounds really crazy, I mean, but I had somebody tell me that, <laughs> you know, 20 something years ago. Give it some more time. Yeah, right. So, did it work a year later? <laughs> yeah, it, it did not end up being that long. Okay. They came, back, they came back and said to me, Yeah, I realized when I said that, and that, was, <laughs> that wasn't about you. That was me. Yeah. You know, they, they weren't, they, they, I mean, they honestly said, used the term, I wasn't ready to give up my resentments, is what they said. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. And that's healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. That's exactly right. Well, yeah. Fair enough. That's up to them. Yeah. I love that. We always had on the whiteboard out here that it's never about them, no matter who they are. Um, but the opposite is true, too. For them, it's never about you. Exactly. You know what I mean? It goes yeah. both ways, and we tend to forget and let that fall by the wayside. Right. Which is, you know, um, Don Miguel, the second agreement, right? Don't take don't take anything personally yeah yeah listening is like you bring up listening that is harder than like that's really challenging to truly listen because I listen and then if I don't feel like I know what to say I'll just try to fix or I'll just try to like say something um whatever but like listening is a skill for sure it is it is it's it's an important attribute too I think you know based upon what we've talked about today Toward discovering, you know, how to be vulnerable, because it, it listening, you know, without an agenda. Thing, what I think you want to hear is my biggest thing. Yeah, always, yes. always. I mean, that's my biggest pitfall I go to. It's like, okay, they're telling me this. How can I impress them with what I say? <laughs> how can I make them think I know? You know, uh-huh. like that's not listening, right? I'm sitting there listening and then trying to dissect how. I can leave my mark in a way that whatever, like... That's this quote. Sorry, I had to look up my phone really quick because it's exactly what you're saying. Most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's by Stephen Covey. It's just... It, it's exactly what I have done so many times. How am I going to help this person? What what knowledge can I give them? And I'm right... Uh, the whole time, I'm, even while we talk here... Mm-hmm. I'm listening to you guys ready to reply, ready to oh, have I'm sure something. I've done that most of this time. Yeah, ready <laughs> to have something to say, which I mean in this case is 
yeah, we should we should all be talking, but when it comes to a conversation and you're listening, to actually try and legitimately understand. listen and understand where they're coming from and not trying to put your mark or your input on it is, I agree, with Brady, it's very challenging. Well, I think we all like to think that we know all the answers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, so it's hard to like listen uh, because it's like, and and I think that that feeling of no, thinking that you know all the answers is is okay. How can I retort to this person? You know, I got to have the answer, or if I don't have the answer, something's wrong. As opposed to just listening to what they have to say. You know. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, from the other person's perspective, sometimes as you were saying that, just made me think. Um, with my ex, I remember after treatment and stuff, and I had been working on this a little bit about being a better listener, and I had worked on that and grew up a lot and not always listening with the intent to reply and just kind of being there to be an ear. And it was interesting when I tried to practice that at home, it, it did not have the best outcome. It actually um, it got looked upon more as... Uh, you don't care enough. You know that you're, yeah, you're disengaged. You yeah. don't care like you used to. All because I was trying to really take that in and and let him just be heard. But sometimes it's interesting. You want to reply, but sometimes people also don't feel heard. Maybe if they're not getting the response that they want to get, you know. But <laughs> that's interesting. And, so and you I used to definitely agenda in the communication. Exactly. That's not always about getting the response, but having it it be agreed upon in a certain way. Exactly. And that was, I was a professional at listening and replying with exactly what I knew the other person wanted to hear. I spent my whole life perfecting that. I'm going to listen and I'm sure this is what's going to make you feel the best about what you're saying. And so that will be my response. So what I heard you just said. Yes. People pleasing. (laughs) Exactly. The epitome of people pleasing. You learn how to formulate the perfect answer to meet the your the expectation yes. of the person you were communicating with. Yes. And they got used to that. Yes. Because you had taught them that's how you communicate. And when you communicated differently. And authentically. They went, what the fuck's going on here? Yeah. You, you don't give a shit, do you? <laughs> you, you don't even care anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, You're not, not telling me what I want to hear. You're not communicating yeah. correctly the, the response that you usually do. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. <laughs> so obviously vulnerability does have a lot to do with listening it does <laughs> that's beautiful what a beautiful story that's cool alright um, I think it's uh, time we, this was this was great very spontaneous that, that last 30 minutes or so was just beautiful that was beautiful stuff Do you, let's just kind of wrap up the day um, you guys uh you're off to uh, Love Loud. Uh, I am. Shortly. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. should be a good experience. Yeah. We're, to we're canceling Refuge because Brant is a good <laughs> No, <laughs> Ref- Refuge recovery. No, we'll we are not canceling Brady. <laughs> Brady's leaving tonight. He's been working on for days, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, there is a Refuge recovery meeting here every Wednesday and Saturday nights. Yeah, right? yeah. Wednesday, Saturdays at 6. Yeah. Or 6.30 Wednesdays. I haven't been to that one in a minute. Saturday, 6. Saturday, 6 o'clock. Saturday, 6. Got at, at, a great group. Lighthouse Support Center. So, here in the beautiful downtown Midvale. Ooh. Historic. Old Midvale. Historic Midvale. Yeah, we are a very historic place. I was telling someone 
Um, I've been, I've been, I think it's amazing. I've been working on this street since I did my first practicum, which was just down the road. It used to be Recovery Bridge, um, run by Joe Boberg, and that's where I did my practicum for my mm-hmm. substance abuse counseling license. And uh, we were, I was talking with someone the other day about this because there was a, um, a town drunk uh, <laughs> that used to come in every day and talk to us. And he, and he would go three or four days and, you know, and, and then he would relapse. Do you know who I'm talking about? Is he still around? He, no, he passed it. Oh, okay. There's Brett a, talks about the town, this guy. The, yeah. The and um, and this, this, this man was, was actually pretty humble and vulnerable for the most part. He... Didn't, didn't, make, didn't make excuses. I mean, he knew who he was, and he knew what his problem was, and he took accountability for it. He would, he'd come to the AA meeting, and if he was had not been drinking for a day or two, he would he would often speak in it. And then if, if he had been drank that day, he would just sit there and shut up and listen. So, I mean, even in his state of being, he still made these conscious choices every day. To show up and, and and be with you know be with this community, even though he you know struggled with what you know finding what sobriety looked like, and I kind of wonder sometimes when thinking about that and, 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 and you know how how probably sometimes we get a little disjointed or um, fixed in the way we look at recovery and sobriety. I mean, and you've heard we talk about this in aftercare mm-hmm. a lot, but the idea that you know it's supposed to look a certain way. You know, yeah. and it's easy to do. Mm. It's yeah. very easy to do. So, um, and and you, we all have, we, you guys all have friends, and you know people that struggle and and maybe don't always find themselves grounded in certain ways for different periods of time. And it doesn't mean that they're not, you know, experiencing sobriety, or you know, experiencing life changes, or developing some maybe a better word, a sense of recovery. But, you know, that it doesn't look quite like ours, you know, because I know mine doesn't look like other people's at times, so, yeah, you know, which is, you know, finding our way back to our wholeheartedness. So, anything you want to, anything on, on, as we leave? You, Not for me. You, you good? You guys? Yeah, I'm good. But thanks, yeah. Paul. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, thank, you you thank, thank you, guys. Thank you, Grady. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. We, we will be back in four to six weeks, uh, and... Uh, Oh, I was going to say, you're Joe, um, Joe, Stephen Covey. Yeah. That's, I interviewed his nephew last week. That was... That, well, that was that, wondering, yeah, but yeah, the, the, I mean, um, Covey family. Yeah, the, and his father and uh, his father and his brother, Stephen, uh, worked a lot together, wrote together. <coughs> Joe, Joe, and he, um, he, he's talked about growing up in a home that was kind of like a laboratory vessel for all the research. <laughs> his, his uncle and his dad were doing huh. interesting and that they they started practicing this within their family systems like started certain you know certain rituals in the morning about going around and complimenting doing positive compliments for each other and you know the kids had to do that for a different sibling each day um, and and that, that that Joe growing up kind of implemented some of these things into his family I mean, this is one of the nicest men I've ever met. I kept thinking, there's got to be something wrong with this guy, but I haven't found it, so I'm going to stop it. How interesting that they were doing all those things, and they that's were, the quote that I pull out while we're talking about yes. the same thing. Yeah. That's, that's kind of ironic. They, were, yeah. they learned to practice this as kids. Yeah, and I think that's stuff. I mean, obviously, um, right. you know. They have stuff, but it was it was a fascinating, it, it, it was a fascinating journey, and uh, very grateful I, I met, met Joe and 
he's part of my life. So if you guys have time, take a listen to his journey. Definitely. All right. Um, that'll do us for this week. We will uh, go out as we usually do with a little Joan Osborne. And uh, we'll be back here with the, uh, the roundtable here in about four to six weeks. Have a good week.